0: Cool. Well, good morning, everyone. If you want to open up to Romans chapter 15, uh, we're going to finish off Romans chapter 15, and then we have one more week in the book of Romans. How sad. It's been a great series. Um, I hope you've been blessed by it as much as I have. Um, So Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 33. While you're turning there, um, I want to read to you this is from the Gospel of Matthew, words Jesus said. So Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, we know he told his disciples a great many good things about the kingdom of heaven. But one thing Jesus mentioned to his followers was this idea of treasure. You know, not what is treasure, but more so, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure, he asked in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, Jesus says to us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, where thieves cannot steal. He asks the question, where is your heart? Is your heart towards your money, your possessions, your goals, your earthly life, or is it towards heaven? He said a very famous line, you cannot serve both God and money. So I want to ask this morning, as we get into our text, what is your drive? You know, every person gets out of bed for a reason in the, in the morning. You know, what is your main goal in this life? What is the reason you wake up? What is the reason you get out of bed and do the things you do? What is your life's ambition? Where is your treasure being laid up? Now, the Bible teaches that the greatest place that we can lay our treasure is in heaven. In heaven where Jesus will be. And the call of the Bible is to live a life that is motivated by and sold out for Jesus. You know, the world looks at that and says, well, that's a very boring life, isn't it? Worshipping Jesus, not getting to have fun, not being rich, not getting to do things that you want to do, but rather following after the Lord Jesus. And we have to ask the question, well, is a life sold out for Jesus really worth it? And I would say yes, and the Apostle Paul would say yes. See, Paul's life, if you want to look in the Bible of a man who was sold out for the Lord Jesus, who truly laid up his treasures in heaven, you can look no further than the Apostle Paul. You know, as we get into Romans chapter 15, the latter half, Paul is done with all his theology. He has done with all his living, all his application, all of how to walk the walk. And what he tells us this morning is basically about his itinerary. His, his travel plans to go to Jerusalem and Spain. And he tells us why he wrote this book and felt the need to. But it's so much more than that. In this text, we see Paul's reasoning for what he did. His reason for writing this book. His reason for giving his life over to missions. And his reason for wanting to eventually go to Rome. And that is to serve the Lord Jesus. Let's read the first chapter. Two, three verses, and we'll pray. Romans chapter 15, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, once again, that we can be here to study your word together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words that you wrote through the Apostle Paul, Lord. We thank you for his example, for um, all that he has taught us, Lord Jesus, in this book about you, and what you mean for our lives, God. And Lord, as we move on this morning, God, from looking at the application of how to live our lives, live our lives as we look at how the Apostle Paul lived his life and the reason for us, I pray to you as we would see, Lord, that you are worth it. That you were worthy of following God. That you were worthy of giving up everything for Lord Jesus. So guys, God, would you open our eyes um, to the truth of Scripture. Holy Spirit, would you apply it to our hearts. May we walk according to your word, God. Holy Spirit, I pray you would fill me now and every word that comes from my mouth, God, will be from you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We lift this time up to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we've gotten through 15 and a half chapters of Paul writing to the church in Rome. And we ask, what reason did Paul have to actually write this letter to the church? Remember, Paul did not plant the church in Rome. And as far as we know from his own words, at this point in his life, he had never even visited them. Any information he had was secondhand from other Christians. He really didn't know a clue about the day-to-day going on of this church, the people, their struggles. And yet Paul writes this extremely lengthy letter with some very hard words at times, to a church he did not know. Why did he feel the need to write to this church in the center of the Roman Empire? Paul tells us that his reason for writing to them, both the the easy words about love and the hard words about our sin, he says in verse 15 that it was to remind them of the truth that they hold on to. This was a very vital part of the Apostle Paul's ministry, not just going around to different cities, preaching the gospel, planting churches, making disciples, and then moving on to the next town. A fundamental part of Paul's ministry was to remind the church of the truth of God. It was to instruct them in it. It was to remind the believers of the gospel. Paul wanted to drive home the truth that they claimed they held on to. Paul wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. We call it the epistle to the Philippians in the New Testament. And there he instructs the churches on a many great different things. But one thing he says is very interesting. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your fate. What Paul's saying is the things he writes in his letters, he is told... The church has to them this time and time again. He is repeating it to them, and he likes to repeat himself. He likes to remind people of the truth. He saw it as a good thing for their faith, and we should too. Because look, it's very easy, and I get, you know, we hear, you know, some of us grew up in the church, some didn't. Some of us are here every Sunday, some of us hear the same gospel stories week in and week out, you know. We read our Bible plans, Genesis again, Matthew again, Jesus has died again, and we hear this truth, and it's so easy at times to want to move on to something that's new and fresh and exciting. This is something that the world wants the church to do, isn't it? You know, what's one of the major criticisms that the world has for the church? It's not that we are stuck in the past, you know, that we haven't moved on and caught up in the 21st century. You know, that we haven't caught up at the times. That we're on the wrong side of history. And you know, whether it be the world's standard towards sexuality or the family or life or money or whatever it might be, the world is constantly calling the church to conform to its standard and reject God's truth. And in a world where that's the constant attack, you know, move on, something new. Catch up, guys. How much more important is it that we remind ourselves and repeat the truth? This is why Christians have creeds. This is why we have Bibles. This is why we have Bibles in this church for you to read so you can go home and know the truth and hold on to it so that you may not forget what is truly true. Paul found a need to repeat of many great things. The most important of them was the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Paul saw our need for us to be reminded of God's truth. Of a necessity to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day, lest we forget about the grace by which we are saved. And so Paul writes to the Romans to remind them of the truth, so that they may continue in it. And moving on, he tells us that he felt the need to write this letter of remembrance because of the special calling that he had on his life. He says in verse 15, Because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul, he knew his calling. He knew that Jesus had placed a special calling in his life to be the Apostle to the Gentiles, to those outside of the Jewish community. And what we see in Scripture, Acts chapter 9, during Paul's um, conversion from a life of not truly following after God into following Jesus... Jesus tells the church this is Paul's job. Acts chapter 9, Jesus appears in Damascus to one of his followers, a man named Ananias. He says, Ananias, go and pray for Paul, Saul at this time, that his vision may be restored. And Ananias, he's a little hesitant because Paul didn't have a very good reputation of treating Christians kindly. And yet Jesus says to him, go, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul knew the calling that the Lord Jesus had placed on his life. A calling to call sinners to repentance, to turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus. Paul said he was to be a minister Of christ to the gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of god in verse 16. and the reason for this was so that the offering of the gentiles may be acceptable sanctified by the holy spirit i really love the language paul uses here to describe his service to christ It actually really excites me because he's talking about the role of a priest paul here he's imagining himself as this priest in the temple whose job it was to reconcile God and man, to bring them together as one. And Paul sees it as his job to offer these sacrifices to God, to offer up the Gentiles as his sacrifice, to offer up, as Leviticus would say, this sweet-smelling aroma. It's beautiful. It's beautiful that in calling sinners to repentance, you know, teaching them to trust in Jesus, teaching them the truth of the gospel and how to live in light of it. Paul was not only building the church, but the Bible says, and he says, that he was pleasing God. He got to please the Father. Is that not an amazing thought? You know, we sing songs that God is so good to us, and he is good to us. And we sing about how much he has done for us, and he does a great many deal of things for us. You know, we sing, he has made me glad, you know, he has made me glad. And we rejoice because he's made me glad, yes. But do we ever stop and think that we get to make God glad? That we get to bring the Father pleasure? You know, that you, you whoever you are in this room this morning, you can make the God of the universe pleased. Do we ever stop to think about his pleasure? I ask that because as Christians, we have the exact same opportunity as the Apostle Paul. You know, Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach these new disciples to obey all that I have commanded you. The call of every Christian, if you're a Christian here this morning, your call is to be a disciple maker. Your calling is to, well, you get to tell people in this world that Jesus loves them, that he died for their sin, that he can give them eternal life. And as we do this, as we make disciples, who want to make more disciples for Jesus, we get to please our Father in heaven. I find that an amazing talk. I grew up thinking I could never please God. I grew up thinking he was constantly angry at me. And the thought that God would delight in something that I do for him is amazing. We get to please God. And that's what Paul wanted to do. And as we move on now in verse 17, Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And I want to stop there in the middle of that verse for a moment. You know, Paul is about to talk about all the incredible ways in which he got to serve Jesus Christ. You know, Paul did many great things in his ministry. We see him in the book of Acts. We see them being talked about in the epistles. But before we even look at what he said he has done, I want us to look at who he gives the credit to. Who he gives the credit to for all the things that he did. He says, In Christ Jesus I have reason to boast. Paul said, it is not what I have done, but it's what Christ has done in me. You know, we often think, you know, we look at the great saints of old, and we look at people like Paul, and we often think he is on this other level from us. You know, we are down here, you know, our messed up Christian lives, and Paul is on this pedestal. You know, Paul, the great miracle worker. Paul, the church planter. Paul, the man who penned the majority of the New Testament in terms of books and letters. And we think that Paul is somewhere high up that we could only ever hope and dream of coming to the same level or standard as Christians, that he is a super Christian, and we can only pray that we would be like that too. But the truth is that Paul was nothing without Jesus. If it was not for the grace of God, True the work of Jesus in his life, we wouldn't even know who Paul is today. He'd be, you know, in the annals of history. And we would not care about him. And Paul knew this. He knew about the wordiness and the power that comes from following Jesus. He knew who he was outside of Christ, and he knew all that he got to be in Christ. Paul writes in... Philippians chapter 3, and I think Johnny is going to put it on the board. If not, it's Philippians 3, verse 3. He says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So who was Paul before he came to Jesus? He was a Jew among Jews, as he says. You know, he was the man. He was a Pharisee, he was a man of self-importance, He was a man who looked at all of his knowledge, his abilities, his pedigree, his status among the people, and he thought he was fine. He calls himself blameless before God, before he knew Christ. Paul was a persecutor of the church, a man who was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned to death. He was a man whose zeal led him to hunt down Christians, put them in prison, and see them executed for blasphemy. That was the great Apostle Paul. And in the eyes of his people, he had it made. And in our eyes, we look at a person like that, and we think, honestly, that's the last person I ever expect to follow Jesus and to tell the world about him. You know, in Paul's eyes, he had it all. But in God's eyes, he was a sinner. Deserving of nothing but condemnation. Deserving of those wraths, because Paul trusted ultimately in himself and what he could do. And so, what changed? What changed from this man who boasted in himself to a man who says, I boast in the Lord? What changed is that Paul met Jesus. Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, and that changed his life forever. The book of Acts tells us that when Paul met Jesus, this encounter left him temporarily blind. He couldn't see anything. But from that moment, Paul's eyes were opened forever. He saw the worthiness of Jesus. He saw the beauty of Jesus. He saw the joy of leaving everything behind to pick up his cross and follow after Jesus as his disciple. If we continue on in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7, Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because it's a surpassing word of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from the God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew the cost of following Christ, and he knew the worthiness of Christ. Now, if you come to Jesus, you will lose it all. But when you lose it all, you will find everything you will ever need in Him. Receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior will transform your life. He will do a work in you. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are, like Saul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, or how bad you think you are, like Saul, the persecutor of the church. It doesn't matter because it is not about you. It is about what Christ has done for you and what he will do in you. You know, 10 years ago this year, I became a Christian. Jesus came into my life. And when he saved me, I, I did not deserve it. And I was one of the least likely people to ever give their lives to the Lord. You know, I knew I wasn't good enough. I wanted to be good enough. I thought I could be good enough, you know, in a foolhardy kind of way, being arrogant and young, but I could never be good enough. You know, I was messed up. You know, I was full of anger, full of depression, full of shame for who I was. And I did not believe that God could love me, accept me, or use me. You know, my past was too messy. I wasn't good enough, and honestly, there's times I still feel like that, but the truth is that Jesus came into my life. Jesus transformed me and has put me in a place I could never deserve, changed me in ways I could never dreamed, and he is going to continue to use me in his kingdom, and that blows my mind because I don't deserve that, and I'm not the kind of person who should ever be used like that. And yet he has done this because of his grace. And all I can say is, only in Christ could I have a reason to boast. I could only say I could not do this. Only Jesus could do this through me, as Paul says. And I want to challenge you. If you have not experienced a transformation in your life, the transforming power of Jesus, then ask yourself have you truly known him have you really encountered him and if you want jesus because he is so worthy to follow all you have to do is ask him into your life call upon his name as it says in romans repent of your sin trust in him ask him to save you and he will he will save you by his grace you gain christ and are found in him. Paul was found in Jesus. Paul trusted in Jesus. And Jesus used Paul in many amazing ways. And Paul gives us a summary here of what Jesus had done through his life. Paul tells us from verse 18 that he was used to bring Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, he had fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul was small. Literally, his name from Latin means humble. It means small. But the work that God did through this small man was great. You know, you read the book of Acts, you see the miracles that God worked through Paul's hands. You read about the lives that were changed forever by his ministry. Our lives are being changed today by the words that he penned in the scriptures. And Again, all because he placed his life in Jesus and he was willing to follow the Lord. It doesn't matter how great or small you think you are, there is no limits to what God can do true for his kingdom, if you want to follow him. So Paul received this amazing ministry from the Lord Jesus. And not only that, we see that God gave him a great desire as well. He tells us about it in verses 20 and 21. He says, And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it was written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. (coughs) So Paul had a special desire, and that was he wanted to be a pioneer for God. He wanted to boldly go where no man had gone before, and to preach the Gospels to the furthest corners of the earth. He tells us that his goal was to always preach the gospel where Jesus was not known so that he would not lay and work on another bill on someone else's foundation. That's important. Paul recognized that he was not the only person being used by God. You know, he was not the end all of Christians. He was not God's only servant. And Paul knew that there were Christians in the empire who had gone to places he had never gone. There are Christians in this city serving in ways that we can't serve as as this church. And that's a blessing. That's a good thing. (coughs) The last thing Paul wanted was to go and take over a church that he did not plant, build on someone else's foundation, and preach the gospel to the people who had had already heard it. He wanted to go to places where the gospel was not preached. And that's where God was constantly leading him. And we ask, why? You know, why? Why is it that the Lord led Paul to go to a place where Jesus was not known? Was it bad to stick around? You know, is it bad for a pastor to stick around in one place for 20, 30, 40 years? No. Again, it's not bad because, you know, he, he didn't go to these new places because it's wrong to build on a foundation or to continue God's work in a city. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he planted seeds, but Apollos, another servant of Jesus, watered. You know, different ministers and different uh, servants have different callings. Some is to plant, some is to sow. and Some is to water, and some reap. Now, the reason Paul wanted to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel is because he wanted to fulfill the scriptures. See, Abraham was given a promise way back in Genesis by God that his seed, his offspring, would bless the entire world. That the Messiah would come and bless the nations. And so Paul read the scriptures. He saw the heart of God for the lost. And he wanted to fulfill that text in Isaiah where it says those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. See, God has a heart to reach the lost of this world. The psalmist declares in Psalm 86 that one day all the nations that God has made will come and worship before him and glorify his name. That is a promise of scripture because God loves the nations and he desires to see many people saved. God has a passion for saving the lost. Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you know, we need to recognize that although we live in you know, maybe not so much Catholic Ireland anymore, where people know the gospel, there are millions, billions of people who have not heard of the name of Jesus. It's estimated that over 3 billion people, mostly in North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. They don't, not that even haven't heard the gospel, they haven't heard the name of Jesus. You can live in Ireland and never hear the gospel, but you'll know the name of Jesus. People use it all the time. But there are places where his name is not known. I think, as we look at Paul's zeal for the lost, the question is: Does that concern us? Does that do we really do we care about that as Christians? You know, what upsets you more? You know, missing your morning coffee, or that there are people who will never know the name of Jesus? Do we pray for? The lost? Do we pray for missions? Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is ripe. But the laborers are few. And he said, Pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. We need to be as a church praying for the lost, praying for missions, praying if that is God's call in our life. Because the truth is, you're either being sent or you are the one who is sending someone else. Paul knew that he was sent. And so from Jerusalem to Illyricum, he preached the gospel to the lost. And Paul moves on in our text this morning. He tells us that this very reason, this job of preaching to the lost is why he could not go to Rome. Way back at the start of Romans chapter 1, Paul said to the Romans that he longed to see them. That he could impart some spiritual gift to him. And he could also be blessed by them. Paul wanted to see the church in Rome, but he says that though he intended to come, he had time and time again been prevented. He didn't give us much detail about that, but the reason why is because Paul had a job to do, which was to preach the gospel to the lost, to the places where Christ was not known. You know, his pioneer preaching God in the way, but now he says that this has come to completion. And that he hopes to be very soon in Rome seeing those Christians face to face. And again, this takes up the remainder of chapter 15 and um, Paul's travel plans. You know, it's like looking at his, his Facebook post or something about what he's going to do in the next month or two. And so we're not, there's a lot of historic data in here we're not going to get into. Stay at home if you want to know more. But let's read um, the next um, two to four verses. So verse 22 to 24, Paul says, This is the reason why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. So again, now that Paul has completed his work in Greece, He wants to move on to his big next ambition. He wants to go to Spain. Paul wanted to bring the gospel to literally the furthest any man could go west, and that was Spain in the Roman Empire. Paul intends to go to Rome, but only as a detour on his way to his next big mission. And Paul says that as he goes to Spain, he hopes that the church will support him in this. And the Greek here doesn't make it out clearly, but it implies financial support that someone would actually accompany Paul all the way to Spain, and they would impart a gift to him and help him in this mission. So Paul wants the church in Rome to help him both physically and spiritually. Many commentators think that Paul wanted Rome to be his kind of base of operations for the Western Empire, the same way that Antioch was for the Eastern Empire. And So Paul wanted the church to support this mission to reach the lost. But for this to happen, he knew they needed to be united. And this is the major, one of the major themes of the book of Romans. And most of Paul's writing is that the church needs to be in the unity that Jesus has created. Paul teaches in Romans that all people, Jews and Gentiles, are equally sinful before God, deserving of punishment, but equally saved by his grace and his grace alone. And because of this, Christians should not look down on one another. We should not think we are better than other Christians. We are to love each other. And that's what we've been learning this last month or two from Romans chapter 12 onwards. We are to love one another and be in unity. And the Roman church would only support Paul if they were a united body. Because the truth is, as the church continues in its unity, God gives growth. This is why Jesus prayed the night before his death that his followers would be one, so that the world may know that Jesus and his message is true. Jesus says in John chapter 18, verses 20 to 23, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says the world will believe in the gospel of Jesus when they see his people as one. This is what scripture teaches. In Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, after the birth of the church, what we see is that the church is in unity. You know, having fellowship together, breaking bread together, listening to the word of God together, you know, all things in common, sharing their needs. And as they're doing this, it says God added to their number day by day. When the church is being the church, united in its worship of God, the Lord gives growth. And, you know, if you want to see the name of Jesus increasing in this city, we need to be a united church. We need to love one another. We need to help one another and serve one another. It starts in here. As we move on, in verses 25 to 29, Paul shares with the Roman church an example of this Christian love. That this isn't something strange that Paul is asking them to do to help them support the mission. But this Christian mission happens all the time. He says in verse 25, At present, however... I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they are pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So Paul is going to go to Rome. And he has one final stop to make before he gets there. And this is Jerusalem. See, Paul was in the city of Corinth when he wrote this letter. And the reason he was in Corinth is because he was going to the different churches in Greece that he had planted to raise support for the people in Jerusalem. He says it's to aid the saints, the poor in Jerusalem. Now we don't know what this collection was for. It's possible it's the famine that the church prophesied early in the book of Acts. It could be because the church in Jerusalem was so poor because they sold everything they had that they had no way to support themselves. We don't know. But what we do know is that the church, big C, big church, wanted to help. Paul says it pleased the churches in Greece to support the church in Jerusalem. And so the money was raised. Christians across the world support each other. They help each other because there is one church. And so Paul travel, plans to travel to his homeland, deliver this gift, and then make his way to Spain through Rome. And just again, as the Greek church helped the Jewish church materially, In our final four verses of warning, Paul asks the Romans to support him spiritually through prayer. Let's read our last um, four verses together, verses 30 to 33. He reads, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the spirits, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy, and be refreshed in your company, may the peace, God of peace, be with you all. Amen. Amen. So Paul was desperate for prayer on the way to Jerusalem. He knew what danger awaited him. Acts tells us that Paul was warned several times on the way that bad things were going to happen him when he got there. That he would be bound. Paul said at that point, you know, I'm ready to die for Jesus there. If this is going to happen to me. He's ready to be delivered over. And so Paul knows he needs the prayers of the people of God to see him through this difficulty. You know, that he would be delivered from the Jewish leaders. That the church would accept this gift. And that he would finally, after years of desire, make it to Rome. Paul coveted a prayer. You know, do we covet it in the same way? Paul says that he appeals to them. That word translated means beg. Paul was begging them for prayer to God on his behalf. So he asks them to strive together with him. And the idea of striving is that Paul wants the Romans to partner with him in ministry through their prayers. Our prayers aren't just words that we say in a quiet room to ourselves. Our prayers have power. Our prayers are effective. And Paul wanted their prayers. He wanted them to be the allies in his fights. He wanted them to join him in this struggle. It is so important that we pray for one another and that we desire prayer. Especially for your leaders. And Paul, one of the Greatest Christians of all time wanted prayer. And there's a need for people who are serving God to receive prayer. commentator Smith said, Ministers need the prayers of their flocks. But Paul, I urge you to strive in your prayers for your pastors. We need your prayers and we thank God for them because pastors are sustained by the power of the Spirit through the support of their congregations. And so as we close, we are in this together. You know, if you are sold out for Jesus, if that is your desire from looking at the Apostle Paul to live a life that follows after Jesus, then you are not alone. You are in this together with the church. We are in this together, praying for one another, building each other up, equipping each other for the work in the ministry so that the gospel may be spread to the ends of the city and the ends of this earth. I think we need God's help. I think we need prayer for that. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we do need your help, God. Lord, how easy it is to forget to pray. God, how easy it is to get distracted by the cares of this world. Lord Jesus, to follow after something else and not follow after you. God, how easy it can be, Lord, to, to hate our brother and sister instead of loving them. Um, to be indifferent instead of caring, to be hard instead of soft and tender and loving. God, we need a work of your spirit, God, in this church. Holy Spirit, we need you to radically transform our lives into Jesus' followers who are sold out for him, who support each other, God, and and pray for revival in this city. God, I do pray for that, Lord that our heart would be for the lost, that our heart would be to serve and to love each other, God, as your word commands. And I pray our heart, God, would be to follow you, Jesus, because you are worthy, Lord. God, you are so worthy. I pray for anyone here, Lord, does not know you, God. Jesus, would you open their eyes up to your beauty and your majesty and your glory, God, that they would follow you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray as we worship you, God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would apply these truths to our lives, and we would live them out. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.